0: don't know Israel, Israel's our youth pastor. And Israel is one of the more brilliant minds that I know. But what I love about Israel is he actually loves Jesus every bit as much as he thinks. And so I'm grateful for you, Israel. Take us.
1: Thank you, Gal. Um, I'm going to get started real quick here and move right on into the next thing because I want to read our scripture for today. Um, We've been talking about the church and we've been reading it from Philippians, letting that inform us. And so, one of the things that—oh, let me go back. One of the things that we've looked at is there is maybe an intended meaning that Paul was communicating in writing to the church, um, and we kind of summarize that meaning in some way to be this: um, he would be saying, "Complete my joy by striving as one like Jesus for the progress of the gospel." This is kind of our summary, but we can arrive at some specific significances of what this can look like for us as Believer's Church. We are not the Philippian Church, we're the Believer's Church. Um, And so along those lines, uh, this morning as we talk about this, we're going to let a specific scripture inform us um, to talk about the significance of it from there. And um, just to give a little bit of a teaser, this morning's been really cool, uh, just even seeing the different generations represented. We're going to talk about intergenerationality, and it felt fitting... To have multiple generations represented instead of it just being one 26-year- old guy. So Noel Hogue is going to read our scripture for us this morning. Noel, why don't you come on up??
2: <laughs> Philippians 2:19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because he is a son with his father. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you, Aphroditus, my brother, coworker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only to him, but also on me to spare me upon spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the name of the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me.
1: Thank you, Newell. This is the word of the Lord. Um, like I said this morning, um, as we talk about the church, we're going to center in on uh, intergenerationality and intergenerational examples you progress the work of the gospel. I listened, and he said, hey, Israel, I'd love to send you on a little tour. I wasn't quite sure what I was expecting. I, I, it wasn't quite sure. I, this wasn't what I was expecting at all in the ways that I had set aside this whole summer to be in Tulsa, work a little on the side, and serve in Fusion um, that summer for my ORU ministry practicum and a wisdom tour with older guys wasn't quite what I was expecting. I was thinking to spend my summer with people in the other age di- direction. And so I was asking myself, why was Jonathan Free sending me on a wisdom tour? Um, it wasn't quite what I had built up in my mind. And, and I, I had no idea, though, what was about to hit me. Over the next summer, I, I got to spend one or two hours every week with an older guy in the BC body, ranging from lead pastors And missions parachurch presidents to retirees that I had never met before. And it surprised me. And it wrecked my ideas of what discipleship was supposed to be. And and more than anything, I I discovered inside myself as this was happening this deep ache for more of the same. It's like it had been there for a long time and I had never noticed it. And it was profound and it was holy. And it was like being with Jesus. And I had been with Jesus before. But this time he had human skin on. And so right before our considered third chapter of Philippians, Paul takes an unexpected turn here into what seems like a little side note about Timothy, who most of us have some familiarity with, and Epaphroditus, who a lot of us have no familiarity with. Um, And and with all the big hits in Philippians, like, he who began a work, and you will complete it, that's chapter 1, verse 6, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's chapter 4, verse 13. This passage about Timothy and Epaphroditus um, is one that we might just think to skip over, right? But I I think in doing so, we're missing out on a bigger theme that Paul is building, which he starts with Jesus, and he ends with in himself. Let me explain. In chapter 2, we get this beautiful description of Jesus, the way he lived and died. Um, and, and in fact, most scholars consider this description of Jesus in chapter 2, and it's what Jono guided us through last week, to be one of the most beautiful details of Jesus in all the scriptures. It, but, but they also consider it to be maybe more than just a part of the writing. It could have been a hymn or a poem. The way it's organized, you could put it in stanzas, and you could see the poetry attached to it. And many have regarded this as uh, one of the best parts in all the scriptures because it gives us this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. Jesus' humility, his service, his obedience to death. And rightly so. It's stunning because Jesus is the ultimate example of what a true human can be. And this one's not just one to be admired but one to be followed. But catch this, Paul doesn't stop at the example of Jesus. What follows and appears like a footnote is a lot more. Let's skip a little further ahead. We'll fast forward. Chapter 3, Paul starts talking about himself. He gives a wonderful a description of his own example and some of the most powerful words that Paul ever penned or scrolled or inked, uh, however we put that. Um, whatever things were gained to me, those things I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I counted all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I, for whom I have suffered all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And then just a few verses on, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him and to the point of death. And this example of Paul culminates in 3 verse 17, and he says, join together in following my example. He just gave his example. And then he says, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eye on those who live as we do. So when I see us, I, I got to ask, who is Paul talking about? I mean, I, it's safe to assume it's Jesus, right? Um, but, I mean, was it the guy he co-authored this letter with? He has a name. Was it uh, the guy who he was with in prison and was sending back? He also has a name. Who, who else might he have been talking about? And, and that's where we get to look back in the space between, the space between when he writes about Jesus and he writes about Paul. And these are sometimes more the two overlooked figures in the letter. Their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And in looking at it closely, it's not just for an update or a practical comment on their whereabouts and travel plans. It was likely a reason why he was writing it. But I think the placement is more strategic. Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples too. And they're part of this crescendo of examples that Paul starts with in Jesus and ends with himself. It's not just the Savior and the Apostle that get to play their part. It's the guys in the church too. Paul says in reference to Timothy, many seek after their own own interests, but but not those of Christ Jesus. And that's 2 verse 21, spinning off the same kind of self-sacrificial obedience that Paul used to describe Jesus just before. Paul also speaks of his proven worth, his character. Some would say that that speaks to the, the, the fact that he was put to the test Um, and had proven that character, making Timothy a prime example of a follower. Like Jesus in chapter two, Timothy was emptied and took on the form of the servant through not looking out for his own interests, but those of others, those of Christ. And Epaphroditus, a man from the church in Philippi, is an example in the way that he came to be with Paul in prison, risked his life by becoming sick to the point of death. It's two verse 27, almost dying with Paul, this is an example in the mold of Jesus in the way that he was obedient to the point of death. Epaphroditus had the very attitude described uh, same as Jesus. Additionally, Paul says to him, he, he says to the church, "Get this, receive him, Epaphroditus then, in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard." He's not just saying, "Thank you for sending this guy." He's saying, be like him. Be like this guy who is from your own midst. See, Timothy and Epaphroditus aren't just footnotes in this Paul, and the story of Paul, or, or comments after this beautiful hymn of Jesus. They are examples, too. Examples of being like Jesus. So when we look at 317, when we ask who us is, we do see that it's Paul. It is Jesus um, or, but was it also Timothy? Was it also Paphroditus? I think the answer is all of the above. It's yes. Follow the examples set before you. So we see, firstly, that Paul lists examples for us to follow. There's a second thing, though, here, and I think it's really significant that we catch about these examples. Paul's not just listing examples who did random acts of kindness. Um, he's emphasizing As well, the role that these guys played, and it's a critical theme in the letter. Let me give you a little backstory for a second. In chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Paul makes mention of the Philippian church's participation in the gospel from their first day until now. This word participation actually appears a few times throughout the whole letter, three times in particular are are two. uh, In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul talks about his desire for the church to participate with the Spirit. He he speaks of his own participation, Paul, in the sufferings with Christ in 3 verse 10. And then again, he mentions the Philippian church's participation in Paul's sufferings when they send him a gift delivered by Epaphroditus. So, this theme of participation is all over the place. And the word that it comes from, we sometimes attribute to it the meaning of it just being about fellowship. And it gives this real uh, friendly vibe of connection and togetherness. And, and that's fair. And it, and, it, and it does mean that. But it's more than just that. When Paul's addressing the Philippians, he's talking about way more than just belonging together, he's talking about everyone playing their part. He's talking about the gospel. And so this idea of participation and its theme in the letter is relevant for us too as examples. So how did these examples, Jesus, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul participate? Well, I think we can note at least two things. The first one is service and the second one is suffering. In regards to service, Paul says of Timothy, you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. That's 2 verse 22. And we know of how Timothy was consistent and present to serve the church at large in, in other writings of Paul and in, in, in the Acts. In Second Timothy uh, 1 verse 6, Paul admonishes Timothy to teach and lead, encouraging him to fan into flame the gifts of God through which he could serve. And so the gifts of Timothy are really cool, and and they're more obvious and clear. He's a teacher. He's a leader. He's useful for the church. But what about this guy named Epaphroditus? We really don't know a whole lot about him, and and we might even say that his gift wasn't quite as tangible or noticeable. Um, Paul says he's a brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. Um, We don't really know his gifting, per se. You know, we don't know, know that much about him, except that he persevered with Paul in prison. <laughs> I would say that's a work of service. And then additionally, this is pretty cool. He literally came to, call, came to Paul bearing a gift. He had a physical gift with him. And, and I think that's really important for us. That gift was essential for Paul in his surviving. It was a physical gift. And in that way, we can recognize our works of service. In other words, our gifts, they are spiritual, but they're also physical, All of us have a part to play, whether it's the guys on the stage or the guys in the pews. We all have our part, whether it's physical, spiritual, it's all of the above. We all have a part to play. Through suffering, um, they, they are examples of participation, not just through service, but also suffering. Paul says himself that he longs to participate in the sufferings with Christ. Paul says of Epaphroditus that he came close to death, right? risking his life to complete what the church couldn't do without him, How many of us could say that we've had the opportunity to do the same, to suffer to the point of death? Timothy, um, who Paul lists as a slave in his opening words to the church, is someone that we know traveled with Paul and experienced suffering as a leader. Timothy, too, was even, you know, to some degree with Paul during uh, his imprisonment here. And not to mention, uh, we also know that Timothy was willing to suffer through being circumcised in Acts 16.2. I don't know about you guys, but I'd say that's a pretty fair way to go through suffering. I don't want to go through that. And the example of participation from all three, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, parallel the suffering of Jesus. Jesus who suffered through becoming obedient, and obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. We are examples in the mold of our maker. And their example is put alongside Jesus because they also suffered. So Paul not only lists examples, he describes what an example is. It's one who participates. And both their suffering and their service weren't only for their own sake. And this is critical, guys. Hear this. It says for both, for both of these examples, it was for the sake of the gospel. Now, the gospel sometimes loses its potency on our ears because we're used to hearing about it And it's a shame because it's the greatest thing to ever happen to us. In my existing form, I was ruined and broken, unable to find my own way in life. And Jesus, the example, made a way for me to live beyond what I deserved. In fact, the best an example could ever do is just bring me back to the gospel, helping me to recognize my brokenness and my new life in Jesus. And so when we're saying the gospel, we're not only talking about its reach, to those who hadn't heard it. We're also talking about its continued work in each one of us. The gospel is explosive in the way that it permeates in distance to the same degree it permeates in depth. I need it just as much as the guy who's never heard it. And in this way, the examples Paul lists are ones that participated in the progress of the gospel. These men participated in the work of the gospel by following their example, the example of Jesus. And so an example isn't just anyone who's cool, a social icon, a Christian celebrity, an influencer, although I'm sure that we can find someone out there trying to do it through that kind of platform. We don't follow an example because of how cool they are, or what their per- political persuasion is. We follow an example because of their participation in deeply pursuing the gospel for themselves and to the world around them. And the qualification of an example is simply this, someone who participates in service and in suffering for the sake of the gospel in me and in you. And so I want to pause here for just a second um, as I've talked about an example, as as I've talked about one who participates, we're going to shift our focus to who they are. Who they are, not for the Philippian church, who they are for us. And so let's just take 15 seconds. I want you to think of people that fit this category in your life. Ones who are examples who participate in suffering and service and for the sake of the gospel. Why don't you just think about that for 15 minutes in your life? Who might these people be? So it's really cool right now, as I'm remembering um, what Jono shared with us last week in the exhortation specifically to older members in our body to champion one another. Um, It's helpful to recognize this is what Paul's actually doing. And in writing this, he's championing the guys in his midst. He's championing the guys who did the work with him. And and I want to speak to that part specifically from here on in. This third part's not one that's like overly clear in the text. It's maybe just in one or two spots, but it's there, and it's important. Paul says, if Timothy, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, but how how he phrases his relationship with him is this, like a child or like a son serving his father. Of Epaphroditus, he says, my brother, who is also your messenger. And we know for Paul and Timothy from the other letters and his direct messages to Timothy and letters that there was this depth of relationship and affection for Timothy. And yes, it did involve suffering and it was for the sake of the gospel, but we can't miss out on the affectionate and caring language that Paul is using here. He called him a son, and he said he was his father. We see other examples of this intergenerational partnership with Paul and Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. He says, don't let anyone, Timothy, look down on you because you're young, but set an example to the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. He says in 2 Timothy three ten, he speaks first of his own example. You, however, know about my teaching and my way of life. That's Paul talking to Timothy. You know my example, Timothy. And then in verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from who you have learned it. Intergenerationality is central to our opportunity for discipleship. One passing on to the other. For Paul and Epaphroditus, we don't know Epaphroditus' age, I don't think. And so we can't read too much into that. That'd be an argument from silence. But we can say, whether he was old or young or anywhere in between, his role is important think about this. Epaphroditus, who we know so little about, was Paul's prison companion. Can you imagine that? The role of being a companion to the Apostle Paul, ministering to his needs, coming close to death with him. They say that trauma is that thing that really binds people together. Man, that would have been really cool to come close with him, even in death. I wonder what that was like. I wonder if it was meaningful to Paul, a friend and a brother in prison. So in other words, whether I'm old or I'm young or any, anywhere in between, my contribution is important and it means something to the people around me. And in a sense, it's unlimited, or I'll put it this way, it's not limited by age. <laughs> Examples are not limited by age. And so intergenerationality in this way isn't a requirement for discipleship, but it is an opportunity. And there's a need and a place for us to recognize the examples in our midst and learn from both the younger and the older to participate in one another's lives and furthering of the gospel. And you and I and everyone in this room is invited to that party. Regardless of our age or our skill set, we have lots of ways to disqualify ourselves, but the Lord's saying, hey, I'm inviting you to play. We all have a part to play, as Anna Lucas so often reminds us. And along those lines, it doesn't again mean that just anyone can disciple or remember the example of jesus timothy epaphroditus and paul they were suffering for the progress of the gospel that's the prerequisite here if you want to be one but if you have participated in the progress of the gospel and you and in others you are an example and there's an intergenerational opportunity before you so again we see the examples We see that an example participates in the progress of the gospel, and we see intergenerationality among those examples. And so Believers Church, what I'll tell you is, the significance for us is that there are examples among us. There are examples among us that we know are participating in the progress of the gospel, and our examples are not limited by age. And if you've disqualified yourself that way, I want to say don't. I want to say come to the party. We need you. I want to go over a couple stats real quick. These are from the uh, Pew Research Center, it just came out in September 2022, and they're modeling the future of religion in America. And so, kind of looking over the, the past 50 years and projecting into the next 50. Um, 1972, people in the U.S. who are raised Christian, by the age 30, 90% of them would have remained Christians. By 2020, two years ago, 48 years after 1972, if people were raised Christian by the age of 30, only 64 remained Christian by the time they had their 30th birthday. By the year 2070, as we look further into the future, somewhere between 35 and 54 are projected to identify Christian of those who are raised Christian by the time they're 30. And the period of time where the most loss of of Christian identification happens is between the ages of 15 and 29, where an estimated 31% regularly leave the faith during those years. And on the other side, what's really cool is that older people, just from a different study, older people have played a critical part in those who have stayed This reminds me of the exhortations of Paul like this. Paul spoke edifying Titus and older men in Titus 2, 6 to 8. Be self-controlled in everything. Set them as an example by doing what is good. And your teaching show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech. In other words, he's saying set an example for those who are young. And similar admonitions are given throughout both Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. Exhorting older members of the body to set an example for the young. And we, and we totally get this idea through the scriptures, right? We, we see that Moses had a Joshua, and Elisha was with, Elijah was with Elisha, and, and Paul had Timothy and Titus, etc. And we see Jesus. Think about this. Jesus never wrote a book. He had books written about him by an example that he set before 12. And maybe the most pure environment was, was God's... Idea in creating the family, which is one generation to the other. Maybe that's the best generational opportunity. It's actually the home, and whether it, it happens in the home, maybe that's the best spot, or in the larger family home of God. There's an opportunity for, for, older followers, older disciple makers to do the same. Makes me think of this poem. I'm gonna read it to you by a guy named from, uh, Edgar Guest. I'm going to read the beginning and then the the very end because I think reading the whole thing would take too much time. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel can be confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are men who live their creeds. For us to see good put in action is what everybody needs. And and he ends with, Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. You see, I need the example of those of you old and young in our body. I need the example of the older man in our community who I got to spend time with who had been let go of his job and suffered with Jesus in questions and learned to trust God in new ways for a whole year until his new job came around. I, as a young man, needed that example. I need the example of the women in our community whose husband passed away and had to suffer through serving and loving their families and friends as an example of the way of Jesus. I need the example of the individuals who have suffered from chronic pain and unmet prayers for healing because they teach me how to trust God for my desired areas of healing. I need the example of older couples who have journeyed in marriage through difficult years, finding the sustaining power and joy of Jesus. As a young man married, I need that example. I need the example just as well of the the men and women who have chosen to be celibate And in their singleness, worship the Lord. They're stewarding their sexuality. We need your example. We need the example of those who have stewarded their finances in godly ways, spending wisely, giving generously. We need your example, and we need you to teach us how to do that too. And I need the example of those who have the gift of of hospitality, who welcome in the needy and the young and the broken, and they care for what they lack. And, And as a young man, I need the example of old men And old women who have chased hard after Jesus. As a young man, I need that example because I want to do the same. I need your example. I need your stories. We need your example. So these were Jonathan Free's words to me. Hey, Israel, I'd love to send you on a little tour, and it changed my life. When I walked into these meetings with the old guard of men at BC, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for the care and the affirmation. I wasn't ready for the practical wisdom I would receive. I wasn't ready for the example and inspiration that would come from someone who had followed hard after Jesus throughout their years. And beforehand, I asked myself things, really reasonable things like, man, are they even going to text me back? (laughs) Are they going to have enough time for someone as young as me or... Honestly, will it be awkward? The answer is yes, it was awkward sometimes, kind of like going on a date. <laughs> and I wasn't ready for the insecurities that it raised in me of will they be impressed with me? Will they like me? I wonder if they'll say they're proud of me. Maybe more importantly, there were some really cool questions that came afterwards, like why do I feel so loved and cared for By this old guy I've never met before. Would they meet with me again? I wonder if they could continue being an example for me in my life. You see, intergenerational examples like Christ participating together is the family of God. This is the church, and I need it. Older people among us, I want to tell you, us young people, we need it. We need you. And if I may presume upon you older people, too, I think you guys, I think you need us. Last Wednesday night, I was having trouble resonating with this particular part of what I wanted to share. And then I was gifted this on Wednesday night. I was, uh, we were having a worship night out of a student's barn. And this has started happening more, more regularly recently. And it's kind of embarrassing, but it's really good. Students are coming to me for prayer And by prayer, I'm not saying that they wanted me to pray for them. They wanted to pray for me. And it was meaningful to me in a couple ways. It was personal. There's a moment as well, though, that I realized that we need the younger people. And this is the dream. I need them to engage in my discipleship because they have a part to play. Don't look down on them because they're young. And I need them. We need them because of the future. The future of the church and the progress of the gospel. And so, I, I want to end this morning with a testimony, and I want to end with a practice. Um, and so, for that testimony, we had someone young, and I'm going to invite someone old, Anime Cameron. You come on up and, and share with us your testimony. Welcome up, Anime, please.
3: Thank you, Israel. Um thank you. This is such a privilege. But he called and asked if I would share um what I received growing up as a young person uh, the impartations I got and man there as I reflected on that, there are so many, and I think as you all um in my age group elderly would sit and reflect there would be many in yours as well but the main one and I was really fortunate to um, be born into a Christian family and with godly parents Um, my mother was a prayer warrior and intercessor my dad was very missional he was ordained and preached in the Indian missions and everywhere he could (laughs) But that impartation to me lasted throughout my life. And I just want to say, if if your parents aren't Christians, just look around. There are many godly men and women in this, elderly mothers and fathers here for you that will play that role for you. Um, So I I am so grateful for the impartation of my parents. The second thing um, was my youth leader at church that influenced me. And she really, really imp, uh, in, impressed upon us all the importance of intimacy with Jesus and our relationship with him. That was number one. She said it was out of that intimacy and really getting to know him would flow everything else. And that always stuck with me. It became uh, very dear to my heart and and there were avenues she pointed is to start journaling start writing your prayers to the Lord um, let him know you um, a friend of ours Dennis Jernigan said intimacy is into me see and that's where we are with Jesus is is that closeness where we can talk to him about anything um, so that youth leader was so valuable to me. The third um, example of people that imparted to me was during my ORU days. Uh, we had outreaches that we could be a part of. And the outreach I chose was an Indian mission in Bunch, Oklahoma, where Ray and Rose Morrison uh, headed it up and started it. And they moved among the Indians and be, became a part of that Cherokee uh, area and um, built a mission school for the kids, and we went there every weekend, a, a bunch of us students, and it was um, awesome because, again, she, I was it was reiterated, reiterated into me the importance of missions and sharing and giving, and I tell you, those as growing up, those things um, modeled me and um, became a part of my life. Um, When you're missional, I found out you have a heart to share and care for people anywhere and everywhere. It could be in the grocery store. Um, Having that input and mentoring from um, these people after having five children um, as a young mom it didn't end. You have your children, your mentoring. You have one thing. Every time I moved into a neighborhood, that became my mission field. I got to know all my neighbors. I love them. I've, in fact, we have this couple now that I've shared with you guys that we're loving into the kingdom. Um, and we have seen really some really uh, marvelous miracles with, with neighbors through the years in the different neighborhoods. Because every time we go to one, I say, this is a new mission field. Um, okay, he asked me, as an elderly person, how do I impart to younger people? Well, I am elderly. I'm almost 74, and I'm not ashamed of it. The Lord, <laughs> uh, the Lord keeps me going. But the things that the Holy Spirit have imparted to me, um, that I have learned through the years from uh, from infancy up through my parents and through all the people that He he has brought into my life, um, is mentoring. The main thing that's in my heart is mentoring my grandchildren. It's such a privilege to be able to impart to them the importance of intimacy and really knowing the Lord, and it's out of that that he will take you into the avenues he has for you. Um, I've led many Bible studies and and done that through the years, and right now um, I have a, a group of women that come into my home that I'm able to impart to them these same things and it's such a joy Um, there is hmm, um, one of the greatest joys I've had as an elderly person and I'm talking to all of you that are over 50 even is traveling with OTTOM and Victor and Lori Cruz they I've traveled with them for over a decade, over, uh, I think, nine countries, and I tell you what, being among those young people will keep you young, and it's such an opportunity to serve and share the Lord. It's been such a privilege. So, whatever the Lord imparts into your heart doesn't end. I mean, um, it's just, one of my mentors said to me that, um, your life is like a tree and when a fruit tree and when the roots go very deep, you have beautiful fruit and that fruit people see and they pick and that that depth of those roots is the intimacy and the the time you spend in the Lord and in, in loving him and, and making that a priority, his word in your life. And that becomes your, your bread, your life. And then people will see that and they will pick the fruit. You don't have to pick the fruit and throw it at them. So the Lord has such good things. Um, so that intimacy with the Holy Spirit is the most important thing, I think. And... I think as an elderly person, the Lord saves the best for last. He really does. There's things you can do, but as you get weak and you're older and it's getting time for heaven, which we look forward to, maybe the fall of our life and we can't keep going. um, He saves the best for last. Oswald Chambers said prayer doesn't prepare you for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. There is always something for you to do.
1: Thank you so much. We're going to get a little practical here. (laughs) Um, Again, the significance for us at Believer's Church is this. There are examples among us. Anime is one, but uh, you can find a dozen plus others. There's so many. I shouldn't even put a number on it. I shouldn't have said a dozen. There's so many. And the examples among us, when when they really are examples, are ones that participate in the progress of the gospel. She's talking about intimacy. It's going deep with the gospel in herself. And again, you're not limited by age. And so as we, as we practice, I want to respond to this both individually and corporately, um, I'll say this, you, you're going to have to pursue it, and, and, and individually, you got to ask who's an example that I can pursue, that's why I had you pause and recognize who they were, uh, call on them, reach out to them, spend time with them, um, and like I said, it does kind of feel like asking someone on a date, and in the same way, just go for it, baby, just, just <laughs> make the move. And we get, to do this, we get to do this through pursuit, right? Um, specifically to the people around me, this tends to work a lot better when we initiate. It can kind of feel a little weird if there's like older people trying to get us to meet with, with them. Um, and so it's, it's just better when you, when you chase after them. Find out who that example is and chase after them. Um, and, and I asked an older guy in our body about this just the other day. Um, I said, hey, is it fair to expect younger people to just reach out to older ones like that. And he said, you know, sometimes it's hard to go straight to the top. Sometimes you need a bridge person. So if you're intimidated by someone crazy old, you know, reach out to someone. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, Someone mature. There we go. It's a better word. I need you. I need you to, yeah. If, if If it's intimidating, you know, reach out to someone who's just a few years further than you. Um, and maybe that can be a helpful step for you. And, and, and I'll say this as well. If, if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, this is really good. This feels really important to Israel and some others. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this is for me. I don't think you're just missing out. I I think you run the risk of not being led by, by God. through people that are leading his church. Um, sorry, not sorry. Um, you're doing more than just missing out. You're, you're, you're not inviting God to lead you. And so don't think of your own ways and your own youthful progress and go, I, I got this. Um, receive wisdom. Receive correction. Um, it'd be setting up for failure if you didn't. We, young people, we, we need this. There's something that they have that we maybe can't just get on our own, you know. And then likewise, older people, I, I think there's something that we have that you need us for. Um, so individually, you can pursue it. Corporately, it's still going to be a little individual, but maybe you can just show up to the places where you know those people are going to be. Really good example for this, plug for Man Summit. If you're like, man, I want to meet an older guy to mentor me, or just engage with me in some spiritual direction, or just be, you know, a spiritual father to me, whatever, go to Man Summit. You can sign up right outside the doors, and who's going to be there? Mark Hodge, is that right? Go talk to Mark, get signed up. Zach Lindsay's raising his fist. Women's ministry, go to their next event. I think there's one coming up in Christmas time somewhere. Go to the event. Get connected. Um, talk to Dana Stubbs. She will get so excited that you just want to hang out with older people. Um, or, or come and talk to O. and Guile. Um, talk to myself. I've got a list of older guys that I send to younger guys when they ask this question. Um, and, and older people, I, I, again, I just encourage you, be courageous You know, just like uh, Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I want to say to you guys, don't let anyone look down on you because you're old. We need you. We need you. You're needed. uh, So please be available for us. Um, I'm going to pray for us and close on out unless you wanted to say anything. Okay, I'll pray. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for the wealth of resources we have around us and people the examples in our midst. Would you, God, who began a good work in us in the gospel, would you complete it until the day you come back? Would you bring us alongside others who can example that same way as well? And would we make your joy, Father, complete as we partner together in the gospel today, going from here, young, old, and anywhere in between? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Israel. So good.
0: Wasn't that good? Well, you would have thought we'd planned it on purpose that Ron and Char Myers shared today, but that, that's not the case. We, you know, this is the weekend they were available and here they are modeling the very thing uh, Israel was preaching into. Isn't that cool? And so I wanted to, I wanted to bless Ron and Char. Um, and so, you know, they're moving into this new house. He didn't tell us they've been living like in a camper for two years. They're, I mean, they're just like missions gurus. They, you know, that are probably eating bugs or something. I don't know. Um, but I'd like to go ahead and just suggest that if you have cash um, or uh, write checks, you can make it really clearly where you mark it on there and put. Or do we have envelopes somewhere? In the baskets around. If you have cash, put in an envelope and mark it because otherwise we don't know what to do with the cash. So, mark uh, Ron and Shar Myers. Or if you go to our website, there's a specific drop down for them. So, if you go to the website right now and want to give on there, we, we, we installed a drop down to help them. We want to help them get settled in this new home. And continue to do that ministry. We just prayed over the actual equipment they use. Paul used a, a quill and wrote letters. And that's our Bible. So we get to do the same stuff with 76 years of following Jesus going into leaders. That's, that's a worthy investment, isn't it? Awesome. All right, guys. Have a great week. We love you. Bless you.